This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Racial disparities in care and outcomes have been well documented, but the problems can be particularly acute in the case of rare genetic diseases. One example of this is the rare blood cancer, cutaneous T-cell lymphoma. African Americans are twice as likely as people of European or Asian descent to develop CTCL, are typically diagnosed with more advanced disease, and have a lower survival rate from the condition. Kiawa Kirin North America, which produces the CTCL treatment Potoligio, is working to address racial disparities to improve the diagnosis, care, and outcomes of African-American patients Patients with CTCL. We spoke to Kiawa Kirin Vice President of Public Affairs, Lauren Walrath, and co-leader of the Immune Cell Regulation and Targeting Program at the Sidney Kimmel Cancer Center, at Jefferson Health, Pierre Luigi Porcu, about CTCL, the disparities in care and outcomes for African Americans with the condition, and what they're doing to address that. PG, Lauren, thanks for joining us. You're welcome going to talk about the rare blood cancer, cutaneous T-cell lymphoma, how racial disparities in this condition can affect outcomes, and what Kiowa Kirin North America is doing to change that. Let's start with CTCL, though. PG, what is CTCL? So CTCL is not just one disease. It's a group of lymphomas, so cancers of the blood cells, called lymphocytes. Lymphocytes are the main cell of the immune system, so CTCL is one of the lymphomas uh, of the immune system. Overall lymphomas uh, can be B cell and T cell, and most of the lymphomas in the US are uh, B cells. So T cell lymphomas as CTCL are rare uh, diseases. And how does the condition manifest itself and progress? So usually patients develop flat, scaly rash uh, on certain parts of their body. That's the most common presentation, particularly the abdomen, the back, the armpits, the groin. Those are the most common uh, sites of disease. It's very slow, very gradual, subtle. Uh, sometimes gets better with sunlight exposure. So people will have less rash in the summer and they will have a more visible rash in the winter. Sometimes it's itchy, uh, but not always. The fact that this can present as more common dermatological conditions, how does that 
complicate getting a, an accurate diagnosis. Well, that is a problem, of course, because uh, very often uh, in the early stages, uh, CTCL doesn't look any different compared to other common rashes like eczema, psoriasis, atopic dermatitis, allergies, and so on. So it really requires a high level of uh, attention. And unlike a lot of the other rashes, um, it can tend to progress and become more extensive over time. Uh, so at, that, at some point, uh, the patient goes to the dermatologist. Um, and I think one of the most important things that can be done is to do a skin biopsy. Um, even if you do a skin biopsy, though, in early stages, uh, the diagnosis can still be difficult because even under the microscope, the, the skin uh, look very similar to more common rashes, uh, non-lymphoma. So it's a, it's a big challenge. How much of a problem is it that patients just ignore the early signs of this? It is a problem. Um, it may not be a huge problem in the sense that uh, uh, eventually uh, with uh, progression of the rash, um, at some point the patient goes to a dermatologist who may be familiar with the disease and have uh, biopsies that eventually show. But um, certainly there is a significant delay in diagnosis. Uh, and even if the, the delay is not uh, dramatic in terms of the impact on survival, but it still certainly delays the initiation of treatment uh, that uh, can make people better. Um, so it is a problem. Uh, how is the condition treated and what's generally the prognosis for someone? So usually uh, when patients present with, uh, we call it early stage, so they have the rash primarily on the skin and the lymphoma is only localized to the skin. The treatment is something that we call skin-directed therapy. So primarily topical therapy, it could be steroids, uh, it could be other drugs applied to the skin. Uh, it could be uh, ultraviolet light given through one of the you know, ultraviolet light booth um, or sometimes is radiation. Um, that's called skin-directed therapy. Uh, when patients have um, more advanced disease or they go through skin-directed therapy first and they continue to have uh, disease, then they have to start something called systemic uh, disease. This comes, so these are medicines that are, people have to take by mouth or injections, uh, often for an extended period of time. Um, and the prognosis for patients who have early stage disease in terms of survival, this remember that this is a cancer after all, it's uh, measured in, in 10 to 15 years. So the prognosis is very good. Uh, but for patients who have advanced stage disease, those who need to take systemic therapy and so on, uh, the prognosis can be significantly worse. And sometimes it could be as, as little as two to three years survival. What's the relationship between timely diagnosis and outcomes? How important is it to catch this earlier in its progression? It is important because even if uh, somebody has early stage disease, um, until you really know the, the specific diagnosis, it's difficult to start therapy that is more specific for CTCL as opposed to any other generic rash. Um, there's also evidence that uh, you know, for patients who have really, really uh, delayed diagnosis, um, the rate of progression is higher and the patients can find themselves having more advanced stage uh, than otherwise they would have had if they had made a diagnosis earlier. 
African-Americans are twice as likely to develop CTCL relative to people of European or Asian descent. How does the diagnosis of African-Americans compare to others and, and how do outcomes compare for them? Yeah, so it's uh, one of the challenges with uh, the diagnosis of uh, CTCL in African-Americans is that because of the pigmentation of the skin, uh, it's more difficult to see the rash. Um, because the rash typically causes redness. Um, and uh, depending on the light or the level of attention, of course, uh, it may be very difficult to detect the earlier signs of development of the rash. Um, if people have itch uh, and they have significant amount of itching, then uh, it, you know, that tends to make it uh, easier to actually catch the attention. Another possibility is that in some patients, in some African-American patients and Blacks, the um, CTCL can cause loss of pigmentation. So the skin actually looks a little lighter color compared to the rest of the skin. And that also brings attention. But in general, there are an, significant challenges in making an early diagnosis of uh, CTCL in African-Americans. And that's well documented in several studies. How well understood are the causes of the disparities in, in diagnosis and outcomes? Is this a, a physician issue? Is it a patient issue? Is it just something that's specific to the disease in, in these patients? I think that it's fair to say that we don't know for sure because the data are fairly limited. Um, certainly good quality data are, are limited. So I think we're doing a lot of guessing at, at, at this point. Certainly, uh, just uh, the, the, the physical challenges of uh, visualizing the rash uh, probably plays a, a role in delaying the diagnosis. It, it, most likely, there's also an issue of access to healthcare, particularly specialized uh, care with dermatology. Um, I'm sure that that's part of the problem. Um, and I think that perhaps there may be even uh, part of the problem could be that, uh, you know, the patients tend to go and, and see the doctor less, um, less early as opposed to other patients. So acts, I think access, the diagnosis, the physical appearance of the skin, those are, I believe are uh, uh, significant reasons why the diagnosis delayed. Lauren, let's bring you in here. Kiawa Kirin won FDA approval for Podoligio in 2018. What is it and how does it work? So our treatment, Podoligio, is a monoclonal antibody that uses the body's own immune system to target and eliminate uh, CCR4 cancer cells, which are frequently expressed in hematologic malignancies, including CTCL. Podoligio is approved for two more common forms of CTCL, and those are called Cesare syndrome and mycosis fungoides. Um, mycosis fungoides is more common than Cesare syndrome, but Cesare syndrome itself is uh, a more advanced and severe form of CTCL. Uh, so Podoligio uh, leverages a proprietary technology that uh, Kiyo Akirin had developed called Potelligent, and potelligen actually helps enhance the antibody-dependent cellular cytotoxicity, so the ability of the medicine itself to, uh, to bind to the, the target uh, cancer cells. And so that is how it works. And uh, we ran a, a full development program with a pivotal study called the MAVERICK study, uh, and that was the basis for approval here in the U.S. 
Kiawa Kieran is seeking to raise awareness about CTCL and the Black community. How is it going about doing that? Sure. Well, as we've talked about, African-Americans are twice as likely to develop CTCL compared to uh, patients of European or even Asian descent. And typically, they're also presenting with more advanced disease. And our history, I think, and really our knowledge of these disparities was uh, enhanced by working with investigators like Dr. Porcu on the Maverick trial. Um, these investigators really uh, helped the company appreciate, I think, that uh, we really needed to target a very representative patient population with our clinical program and ensure that we collected uh, data on a truly representative patient population so that we would know how the drug worked in African-Americans as well as in uh, other patients who are more commonly involved in clinical trials. Um, and so uh, really our awareness of this issue goes all the way back to the clinical program. And now that the drug is approved, I think we, we believe we have uh, a, a commitment and a duty uh, to make sure that we're raising awareness uh, among the broader patient population, as well as among HCPs about the issues that affect this patient population. Um, and that's part of what we do in the public affairs team that I lead for Kiowa-Kirin in North America. Uh, we've been working now for several years on education initiatives. We have engaged with different healthcare organizations and with different patient advocacy groups to help spread the word in particular at certain times of the year when we think there's more attention being paid to Black patient health issues and uh, issues of concern to Black uh, populations. And so we are out there trying to work with partners to deliver really good information uh, and content that can help in uh, driving more awareness of this rare disease and of its incidence among the Black patient population. In addition to raising awareness, the company launched grant programs to fund work aimed at diminishing racial disparities and improving outcomes. How much money is Kiawa Kieran putting into this effort and what are they specifically doing? Sure, so our grant program started back in 2020 and the first disbursement of funds amounted to about $120,000. And because we, uh, we were really actually pleased to see the response uh, from uh, the different audiences and, and some of the ideas that were coming into our organization. We re-upped, I would say, you know, our, our grant funds and we continue to disperse funds for appropriate uh, proposals that come into the company. Uh, and we've gotten a, a really amazing, I think, kind of uh, set of ideas from different organizations that are out there. Um, the ideas and the proposals that we've funded cover everything from translational research projects to uh, epidemiological studies that really try to look at what are some of the root causes that could be behind some of these disparities. And in addition, we've funded a number of education and community outreach programs uh, to help reach uh, the target Black patient population in certain cities and certain urban areas, as well as in regions where we believe there is a higher incidence of CTCL among African-Americans. And those education programs have been run by patient advocacy groups. They've been run by uh, cancer clinics. They've been run by uh, large uh, academic hospitals. 
And so really, uh, we're very proud that we've uh, dispersed these funds and we will continue to disperse these funds when we get good proposals and recommendations. So to date, that's amounted to about $250,000 over the past two years. And our plans to continue to support good programming and good research projects um, that will help hopefully in, in raising understanding uh, of the issues behind these disparities will continue into the future. The company is not just focused on patients, but also on physicians and getting them to look for the condition. What is Kiawakirin doing to get physicians more attuned to CTCL, particularly with African-American patients? Well, we certainly hope with some of the grant uh, or the projects that we've supported with our grant funds that there will be publications and, and that research will be shared uh, with the wider community. So we are hopeful for that and, and we will continue to uh, again, invest in those activities. But from our own activities that uh, we, we manage and, and, and work out on ourselves, um, we have continued to look for new and different ways to expand our reach uh, and to, you know, uh, again, drive more awareness among the treating, uh, the treating physicians. And so some of the things we've done, we organized a roundtable discussion that Dr. Porku was actually part of this year. And we did that as part of Black Family Cancer Awareness Week back in June. And we've uh, taken some of the content from that effort and uh, shared it both uh, with uh, Dr. Porku's institution, Thomas Jefferson Hospital, as well as with some of the other institutions that joined us for that panel and the advocacy organizations. And so we're using as many channels as we can to spread some awareness uh, about the, the disparities affecting the CTCL patients. In addition to that, our uh, medical affairs teams and our sales reps from Kiran who go out there and speak with doctors are, are definitely attuned to when this conversation is relevant and they have materials and research that they can share including the data from our Maverick trial that help physicians understand uh, potentially whether potolegio may be an appropriate treatment for uh, a black patient or any patient uh, suffering with C uh, the two forms of CTCL that, that were approved for. Gigi, what does your hospital do to reach out to or care for multicultural or black patients? Is there special training you provide doctors? Do you do any outreach with community organizations? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so first of all, Th Thomas Jefferson University Hospital is really kind of a uh, urban hospital deep into you know the center city of Philadelphia. So we have a very large population of patients. We care for a very large population of patients who are Blacks, African Americans, and a lot of other minorities. Not just not just that, but um, so there is really a a culture of uh, outreach, uh, a preparedness about uh, being culturally. Uh, knowledgeable, uh, including language, um, you know, uh, availability for uh, non-English speaking uh, people. So certainly there is a, even the, all the way, all the way to the medical school, um, there is a, a lot of uh, um, interest, uh, training and preparation for that. We partner with, um, as you mentioned, we partner with uh, patient advocacy organizations, both here in Philadelphia, as well as nationally. One of them is the Cutaneous Lymphoma Foundation that is the only organization really that focuses on patients with cutaneous lymphoma, but also others like Lymphoma Research Foundation, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, and so on. So there's a lot of uh, give and take uh, partnership with all these uh, organizations here in Philadelphia. Lauren, as the company has sought to reach out to the African-American community, 
what is it learned about building trust within this community and how to effectively reach people? I think uh, the learnings are still ongoing. I think a lot of the feedback we've been getting from our events and in particular, some of the, the live events like the round table I mentioned um, is that opening the conversation and helping people learn uh, to self-advocate is, is one of the most, I, I think, important and, and powerful messages that we can deliver. Um, we had a, a wonderful woman who joined us. I think she's a patient of Dr. Porcuz. And she told her story uh, about trying, uh, to, trying to get care, trying to get treatment. Um, and she had visited a dermatologist uh, several different times. She probably visited more than one. She brought along patients and, and family members to her appointments, trying to ensure that maybe if the doctor wasn't understanding her and her symptoms, uh, and the way she was reporting them, that maybe they would listen to somebody who whose accent was a little bit different, uh, or who was, um, you know, light skinned and, and maybe might be uh, treated a little bit differently by the healthcare system. Um, and unfortunately, again, this was one woman's example, but it was certainly an example of um, the challenges that that patients may face in a system that doesn't always recognize. Uh, the disease, and it is a rare disease. So, you know, it, it's not maybe commonly understood and, and that is part of the hurdle. Uh, but I think what we're trying to do and working with institutions like Thomas Jefferson University Hospital System, working with the Cutaneous Lymphoma Foundation, working with uh, LRF and the other advocacy groups is make sure that the information is out there so that these patients uh, when they report systems, when they seek care, that they are heard, and hopefully people can help uh, recognize what it is that they're talking about. Um, I think the feedback that we get is um, that these patients really do need a more responsive healthcare system, um, and they need assistance sometimes too from maybe non-traditional healthcare resources like community uh, social workers or pharmacists or uh, people in their local communities. And so we're, we're encouraged, I think, that you know, hospital systems in urban areas are, are, are taking those needs to heart um, and starting new teams um, you know, that expand their outreach and, and hopefully build trust into the local communities. And, and we certainly want to continue to see that and support that where we can. Um, but we want to also continue to, to do what we can to raise awareness and to drive the conversation because we hope that in doing so, in you know, ensuring that, that these patients' experiences are heard and understood, that there will be more people out there willing to listen and, and when they hear the symptoms being reported, uh, that they'll be somewhat more knowledgeable about how to help that patient access the best care that they, that they can. How about your program? What have you learned about effective ways of addressing racial disparities in CTCL? And what have you found works? What doesn't work? Yeah, so I think that one of the most important things, in addition to what Lauren mentioned, uh, which is kind of outreach and give people the opportunity to speak up, uh, which I think is great, things like this program. Um, but I think that one of the most important things is to really build a team that is very knowledgeable of uh, this particular disease. Uh, these are rare diseases, like Lauren mentioned. Uh, therefore, uh, a lot of doctors and uh, healthcare providers uh, are 
you know, they may see a patient, you know, like this once in medical school and then they forget. So, um, and even on the dermatology side, uh, you know, there may not be a sufficient uh, familiarity with, with this. So I think the important thing is to kind of educate and build a team. Uh, you know, here uh, at Jefferson, we have a, a multi-D uh, clinic and program, which means that we work very closely together. I'm a medical oncologist, so I'm a lymphoma doctor. I work very closely with my colleagues in dermatology and radiation oncology. Uh, in pharmacy and social workers. So we have a whole program. This is true for a lot of other institutions. It's not unique to Jefferson, but, uh, you know, they're not, you know, it's more difficult to find that kind of infrastructure, you know, in the community. So um, in the community, what we do because of the footprint that Jefferson has, which is uh, a mixture of uh, an academic center uh, in Santa City with uh, other uh, community-based uh, academic programs across the region, uh, we are actually are deploying a system of, you know, uh, lectures, education, uh, in, you know, in-person uh, conferences to actually discuss these rare diseases um, and make everybody familiar with it. But it's 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 a lot of it's a lot of work and requires education and takes some time. Just to build on that for one more moment, I I think in our our panel discussion back in June, it also became quite clear what what Dr. Puku just said, which is that because medical training um, you know, is done and, and somebody goes on then to hopefully have a, a nice career, but they may not see these patients frequently and it may be decades really before uh, they encounter another patient with CTCL, um, it, it really is important to continue to, to fund, I think, you know, continuing medical education and, and to make sure that there is more up-to-date information available for uh, the physician community. So one of the things that came out of that roundtable was that there needed to be more examples of uh, these CTCL patients and their symptoms on dark skin. Um, and that that uh, photography, for example, was something that might be missing from some, some of the medical literature and certainly some of the, the sort of medical school programs. And so I know I was speaking with some members of our medical affairs team recently, and they were telling me that there is a new project underway to make sure that that photography is being captured and that, uh, again, more education programs will be able to leverage that in the future. I, I think that's a really good sign, too, of what else can be done in terms of educating the physicians. And again, it stems from a good dialogue that's happening, I think, uh, you know, across these organizations, across the healthcare institutions, the uh, opinion leaders like Dr. Porku, the advocacy organizations, and where pharmacist assistants can help. As drug developers and, and providers have become sensitized to these issues and seek to take steps to address them, what advice would you offer? Well, I think commitment is key. Uh, again, I mentioned that I think the inspiration for this work and the work we continue to, to do really stemmed from uh, the clinical program, the Maverick program, and that we had advocacy groups and investigators who uh, were helpful, I think, in educating our company about what uh, the real patient population looks like um, and encouraging us to keep that in mind through the development work we were doing, but also now through the commercial work uh, that we do to support our business. 
Um, and so I, I think, you know, disparities certainly have arisen in our healthcare system uh, over decades, over centuries, really. And they aren't rooted in, in one cause or another. They're, they're to some degree, as Dr. Perku started out saying, um, uh, they're an issue that, that comes from, from many different root causes. Um, but I think in order to address them and, and to hopefully see real improvements, you have to stay committed. Um, I don't think you can imagine that any one program or any one grant um, is going to solve the problem. I think it, it requires a true commitment and a sustained commitment over time to hopefully see improvement. So let me just add one thing to that, if, if I may. So to expand on the on the on the Maverick, uh, it, the trial, you know, that really kind of led to the approval of the drug, um, is it, very important because then it's giving us the opportunity to go back and look at uh, and ask specific questions about the population was enrolled on 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 the Maverick, and now we're starting to actually get some information uh, on on that. For example, on the Maverick trial. 10% of the patients that were enrolled were uh, Blacks, self-identified Blacks. Um, and so we were able to look at what the outcome of those patients was uh, in, you know, on, on the trial uh, when they were treated with either uh, Potelgeo or uh, the control, uh, which was uh, a standard of care drug. Um, and the one thing that we saw was that uh, the, the, responsive, the response of those patients and the safety uh, to the two drugs um, was very similar. So in other words, this is kind of a, this is good news, right? Because number one, we have information on, you know, how well tolerated uh, this particular uh, drug is in the African-American population. Uh, that's something that for a lot of trials is not available. So that, that was a big, um, a, a big important finding. But the other one is that uh, when patients are treated on a clinical trial, where, where African-Americans are treated on a clinical trial and they, they have all the attention, you know, uh, early intervention, uh, careful monitoring, uh, and access to new investigational drugs, um, their outcomes can be just as good as anybody else. Um, and this also was shown by, there's another, so that was a study that we did um, um, from the Maverick, another study uh, from uh, Emory University, Dr. Allen is doing a very large study in collaboration with um, a lot, several different centers, including uh, Thomas Jefferson, looking at survival uh, across uh, uh, different academic institutions in, in Blacks, uh, patients with uh, CTCL. And if we look at the survivals, you know, the outcomes actually are uh, not, there's no disparity in outcome once patients are treated uh, in centers that know how to treat patients with CTCL. I think that's a very important message yeah. to get out, I would say. Pierre Luigi Porcu, co-leader of the Immune Cell Regulation and Targeting Program at the Sydney Kimmel Cancer Center at Jefferson Health, and Lauren Walrath, Vice President of Public Affairs for Kiawa Kieran. Pierre Luigi, Lauren, thanks so much for your time today. Thank, Thank you. you. It's a pleasure. Uh, that was great. I'm not sure what the run date is yet, but I will pop a note when it goes live. And uh, Rochelle, if you can send high resolution color headshots of both, that would be appreciated. Yep, definitely will. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you both for your time and your patience in switching switching over uh, the platforms. Thank you for being flexible. Right. Appreciate it. Take care. Yeah, Always, thanks. Thanks.
I think it was great. Thank you, Dr. Perkin. Thank you, Danny. Enjoy your trip. Good. Thanks. <laughs> Take care. Thanks, Bye. Danny. Take care, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.